This morning's reading starts at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. Thank you, Claire, and morning, everybody. I was a bit fidgety, not unusual for me. And I was sat on a hard wooden chair, a cold draft going down my back as the marquee door flapped back and forth. It was day four of the camp, and one of my favorite leaders, Gus, stood up to speak. I listened sort of half-heartedly, as you do when you're about 14 years old. And I noticed that Gus was speaking about Jesus, and particularly about Jesus' death and resurrection. And I'd heard it many times before. Jesus was whipped and humiliated. Jesus was nailed to a cross by the most expert of executioners. Jesus endured unimaginable suffering. And Gus went on. But as Gus went on, the power of what God did through the cross started to embed itself into my soul like it had never done before. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, went through all this for me in my place. 
And as Gus continued, it was as though I could see Jesus' face as he hung on the cross. And all I saw on that face was love. It was as though Jesus was saying to me from the cross, Libby, all this is for you. I see you and I love you. And it was in that moment, sat in that marquee with a cold draft going my, down my back with, on a wooden chair that put splinters into my legs. It was in that moment that Jesus' love grabbed my heart and I received that love again. The power of God's love that I knew then and I still know now the power of God's love I saw in Jesus' death and in his resurrection has given me the power and the strength and the resolve to face the sorrows and joys of my life. The power of God's love has, if you like, been the fuel of my life, has meant that I've gone on this crazy adventure that we go on with him. And I've done things that I would have never done if I hadn't encountered his love sat in that tent 30-something years ago. Or in the fact that I continue to live in and experience that love every day. This part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians takes us right into the heart of God's love for us in Jesus and then our response to that love. Do have that passage open. It's absolute stormer. When I opened it to start uh, preparing for today, I was like, there is so much richness in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through to 6, verse 2. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Paul is speaking the gospel, the good news that through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, God's love for, for us is given and is open for all. God's love is given once and for all. You can just hear it in these first few verses, verses 11 uh, to 14, how Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthians why he is, has been behaving in certain ways, why some people might look at that behavior and think he's completely lost his mind. And he says, it's simply because of my experience of Christ's love, verse 14, which has grabbed him and is, has compelled him Jesus has grabbed his heart and his life and has changed him. And now he says, now it compels me, it drives me forward and affects now my whole life, all my decisions, my words and my actions. Tom Wright puts it like this, the logic of love outweighs all other logic known to the human race. I think that's what Paul's experiencing here as he's trying to explain this almost madness that's overtaken him and is compelling him. The logic of love outweighs all other logic known to the human race. Maybe you have experienced that yourself. The logic of love which propels people forward in incredible ways. It makes people move to the other side of the world make incredible sacrifices, make seemingly ridiculous decisions, or take risks. For Christ's love 
compels us. Jesus' love spurs me on, Paul says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The cross of Jesus is God's announcement to the world. This is how much I love you. And that announcement was so loud. It was so clear that it has changed the world and changed hearts and changed many lives. And it's a love which compels us. Some of us do have doubts along the way. I've had doubts about the cross, about Jesus, about the resurrection. Even does God really exist? But when I've doubted, does God really love me? I've just had to look to the cross. It's God's love song to creation and to each one of us. Because as Paul goes on to say in verse 15 here, Jesus died for all, not just for the few, not just for those of us who have got our lives completely sorted, but for each and every person, whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, he died for you. And the knowledge and experience of that love can't and doesn't leave us the same. When we receive the love of Christ, it's like we're left with no choice but to respond in love. Listen to these words, verse 15. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Eugene Peterson uh, was a pastor and a theologian, and he's probably most famous uh, for writing the message translation of the Bible. At his funeral a few years ago, uh, his son, called Leif, L-E-I-F, shared how his dad really only had one sermon, much to the surprise of everybody there. Uh, And this sermon, uh, Leif said, his dad would speak over him as he settled down to sleep every night as a child. And this was his sermon. God loves you, Leif. God is on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Hear these words over you. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. Do you and I believe in and know this relentless power of the love of Christ Jesus in our lives. A love that doesn't expect you to do anything first. And, that, and doesn't that go completely against the grain of, of the culture that we live in, which is all about self-help? There's a book or an app or a new exercise trend or a look or a new technology to help with everything. You just need to go and get it and do it. But the heart of the gospel of Jesus is not about you or I doing or getting anything. 
It's not even, if you think about it, that God really needs our love. It's not that God needs our response. God is the object and the initiator of the reconciliation between us and himself. And he sees you, and he sees me, and he knows our hearts, and he knows our need to be reconciled to him. And out of his love for us, out of his love for the world, he sent Jesus. And Jesus died for you and for I, and he took our place on the cross. He died our death for our sin that separates us from God. And so out of his love for us, he made it possible for us to be his children forever. We can't save ourselves. Try as we might. Only Jesus can do that. And it takes faith, doesn't it, to believe in this love. I was listening uh, to an interview with Nicky Gumbel, uh, who wrote the Alpha Course, lots of you know, uh, this week. And he was talking about how believing that anybody loves you is always an act of faith. And yet there is nothing more important to the human race than love, even though it's an act of faith. It takes me back to that quote again from Tom Wright, the logic of love outweighs all other logic known to the human race. I know that John, my husband, loves me, but I can't prove it to you scientifically. Love is an act of faith, because even though we can experience love and have evidence, like you might have a, a wedding ring or something, to show that we believe that someone loves us, we can't actually prove that love mathematically or scientifically. And if you think it, so many of the important things in our lives uh, require faith. And therefore, if they require faith, they're open to doubt, including love. And that is why the love of God, seen through the cross, requires faith. We can know all the evidence for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We can know everything that Paul writes in the New Testament about what Jesus did through his death and resurrection and what that means to us. But to embed it into our hearts and our lives, well, that requires faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of us here believe that Jesus died and rose again for us but we're struggling to know and experience the love of God. Maybe you've lost that, we might describe it as heart knowledge, somewhere on your journey through life and faith. And it's like the fire that was once there has gone out. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. Romans 5.5 5, uh, tells us that God has poured out his love for us into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But maybe some of us need to invite the Holy Spirit to ignite the love of God in our hearts again. To just light that spark again so that the fire might get going. 
Maybe some of us need to ignite, ask the Holy Spirit to ignite the love of God in our hearts. Maybe for the first time. Maybe again. There's a really simple and ancient prayer of invitation that might help if that's you. And it's this, three words. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And in fact, why don't we do that now? Let's just pause for a moment. Maybe this is why God wanted you here today. You came through the drizzle and the rain and there to be here just for this moment. For you to say to God, come, Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to ignite your heart and faith and his love again. So let's just be quiet. You might just want to whisper under your breath, come, Holy Spirit. Oh, how I need you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, ignite that little flicker of faith. Help us to know your love and experience it. Amen. So, we don't reach out to God, but God reaches out to to us and reconciles us to himself through Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on, verse 17 to 20, uh, to give us perhaps the most epic summary uh, of what Christianity is ever, explaining how because of God's love for us, because of what Christ has done for us, we become new creations. The old has gone, Paul says, the new has come. So that we ourselves, in verse 20, are able to go out to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Jesus' love does not leave us the same. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Some of us might have known a new baby in our family recently. Or maybe you've moved to a new city or even a new country And with those life events comes complete change. The old has gone. The new is here, whether you like it or not. New routines, new culture, new friends, an adjustment is needed. And some elements of the old life just don't fit with the new. It's tricky to live in exactly the same way you did before with a very small baby in tow. Jesus has made us new creations That's a total radical transformation. The old has gone, the new has come. You can't cling on to your old life. Uh, Now, I love uh, the program Fake or Fortune. There's Fiona Bruce, legend of the BBC. And every so often, uh, as the team try to prove if uh, a painting that's been found in somebody's garage or something is indeed a Renoir or a Rembrandt or a Monet, uh, they discover using infrared cameras another painting 
underneath the painting that is visible on the surface, like this one here. It was a Gainsborough, would you know? Uh, where an old painting of a woman uh, there in black and white was found underneath the painting of the man that they were investigating. You can still see some of the maker's marks, but it's clear that the artist has made a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When Jesus took our sin upon himself, he reconciled us to himself. He made us new creations. And now each of us who know and live in this reconciled life are to be, verse 20 tells us, Christ's ambassadors. And the role of an ambassador is clear, to be the sovereign's envoy, to act and speak on their behalf in a foreign land. And so we are ambassadors of Christ. We are to act and speak of his love and reconciliation whilst we live in this foreign land. One of the best books I read last year was this one uh, by Simon Ponsonby called Amazed by Jesus. It's basically a collection of his sermons. He's a really good speaker and theologian. Uh, and at one point, he tells the story of uh, a guy called Robert Cornwall, who was a pastor of a small church in Oregon, USA. To supplement his income, uh, Robert Cornwall worked as a counselor in a state psychiatric hospital. And when he arrived on his first day, Simon Ponsonby tells the story about how they took him to room 37 of that hospital. He tells how the sight that greeted Cornwall just took his breath away. It was a padded room, was room 37, reserved for the most severely psychotic patients. And they just walked around in a drug-induced haze. Lots were half-naked, some in nappies, some just defecating on the floor. These were people who were no longer being treated, but like caged animals, they were just being controlled. And this was many decades ago before lots of the sophisticated medical and psychiatric treatments of today. And Cornwall went into that room, and the Lord whispered to him, sit on the floor. And so Robert sat in the, on the floor in the middle of the filth. And the Lord said to him, sing a song. And from deep within him, he began singing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And after an hour or so, he got up, finished his shift, went home. A week later, he returned to his work and was again taken back to room 37. Again, he just sat in the middle of the room and began to sing the same song. And this time, a woman, who was something was touched deep within her uh, and was drawn by the love that Robert Cornwall was singing about and just sat behind him and started to sing along with the song. And he kept this up week after week in every visit. Within one month, 36 of the patients had been transferred to different wards. And in less than a year, all but two of the people who'd been in that room were released from the institution. In a year, 36 had left the hospital and two were members of his church. As Paul wrote earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are carriers of treasure. 
the love of God in our clay jar bodies? And how much does the church, does this world, do our friends, do our families, do the people that Connor was describing who have gone on these journeys to arrive here, some with nothing as refugees, how much do they, our work colleagues, the people we live around, need to know God's love and the freedom that comes through being restored and reconciled to him? God might not put us in the middle of a psychiatric hospital to literally sing of his love, but where has he put you and I? Where will you be? Who will you be with on Tuesday or Wednesday, this week or next week? What would it look like for you or I in those places and with those people he's put us with to speak of his love and his forgiveness, his reconciliation, his freedom? How can we be ambassadors of the king in that place through our actions and through our words? Not when we have it all together and we've sorted it all out in our own lives in five or ten years' time, but now, because we are new creations now. We are ambassadors of the King now. The Holy Spirit is with us now. And Paul writes right at the end of our passage today, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation.